Did Jesus exist? Was he a real historical person? Were the accounts of Jesus copied from pagan religions of the day? We're seeking answers to these questions this week on Exploring the Faith. I'm Kurt Parton, and this is Exploring the Faith, where we examine any question or issue that helps us be more faithful as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be growing always closer to God to more deeply understand the life he's brought us into, to help and encourage our fellow believers, and to meaningfully engage the culture around us. Welcome to the discussion. Jesus Christ a real historical person? Did he actually exist? We begin with the most broad of questions regarding Jesus, and it's one we need to answer. If the answer is no, then the implications are clear. If Jesus is merely a mythical figure, like Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, then his story may be inspiring, but he's not worthy of our faith. A fictional Jesus can't do anything about our spiritual condition. He can't provide a way for us to enter into relationship with God, and he's unable to resurrect us from the grave. If Jesus wasn't a real historical person, then our search ends here, and biblical Christianity is a lie. But if the evidence shows the historicity of Jesus, then we can move on from here to explore other questions about him. We're not trying to establish everything Christians believe about Jesus. Not yet. We'll get to the rest later. All we're trying to determine this week is if we can be certain that Jesus actually existed, or not. In approaching this question, we must first consider the historical context of the first century. There were no hospitals at the time, and no birth certificates to be filed somewhere. They also didn't have the kind of media we do now that report widely on all the latest events and trends. Today we expect mountains of documenting evidence for practically everything. But when it comes to ancient people, even very famous ones, most of our knowledge comes from relatively few sources. For example, Tiberius was emperor of Rome from the year 14 to 37 AD, or some say CE, for common era. The years of his reign would have included the time when Jesus was supposed to have been traveling around Galilee and Judea, and when he would have been crucified. This man, Tiberius, was Caesar of the whole Roman world. And yet, historically, we have only four sources from which to draw the details of his reign. And only one of those sources was written by someone actually alive during the reign of Tiberius. The other three sources are still historically valid, of course, and no one doubts that Tiberius lived, that he was really Caesar, and that he did what he was reported to have done, but this shows the nature of our search. Our expectations need to match the historical realities. We just don't have a lot of historical references from antiquity to even people who were very famous at that time. So in evaluating whether Jesus was an historical person, we shouldn't demand more documentation for him than we would for, say, Tiberius, for instance. So, what kinds of sources do we have to support the historical existence of Jesus? Let's break them down. We'll look first at the Jewish sources. A very important Jewish source is the historian Josephus. His references are significant for a few reasons. 
He wrote in the first century. His Antiquities, for instance, was written around 94 AD or CE. So he was a first century Jew, and he understood the historical and cultural settings. And his primary subject matter was not Jesus or Christianity. His comments about Jesus are only brief references, and so they're written in a neutral manner that's really helpful to us today. In Antiquities, he mentions Jesus twice. Unfortunately, one of these references was later embellished by overzealous Christians. Thankfully, their attempt was clumsy, and most historians agree on what Josephus originally wrote. Here it is. Around this time lived Jesus, a wise man. He was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who had first loved him did not cease. To this day, the tribe of Christians, named after him, has not disappeared. Now, there's wording here that no Christian of this period would have used. They would never describe Jesus as merely a wise man. Neither would they say that Jesus was a worker of amazing deeds. That wording could apply equally to a sorcerer, which is precisely what their Jewish opponents accused Jesus of being, so followers of Jesus would never have used those words. Christians at this time emphasized Jesus as the Savior, not as just a teacher. There's no mention by Josephus of the resurrection, and Christians of the late first century would never have left this out. Also, the terminology tribe of Christians was not a Christian expression, nor one they would have used. However, it fits the context of Josephus really well. For these reasons, this passage from Josephus is widely regarded by historians as original, which shows that Jesus was an actual historical person in the first century. Remember, we're not trying to find historical references that affirm Christian beliefs about Jesus. We're only trying to see whether there are ancient sources that confirm that Jesus existed, that he was a real historical person. The second reference to Jesus by Josephus is in a section where he's describing the actions of the Jewish high priest against James. Which James? That's a good question, isn't it? A reader back then might have asked that question too, right? So Josephus clarifies just which James he's talking about. Here's what he said. He, referring to the high priest, assembled the Sanhedrin of the judges and brought before it the brother of Jesus called Christ, whose name was James, and some others, Notice the almost casual way that Josephus uses Jesus to explain to his readers who James was. This kind of offhand reference is incredibly valuable to historians. It shows that not only did Jesus exist, but that he was so well known by this time that they would better understand who a more recent leader, such as James was, by his association to Jesus. Josephus says, this was the brother of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, oh, okay, that's who this was. So not only was Jesus an historical person in the first century, but he was a very well-known historical person to the Jewish people of that time. Much later, the Babylonian Talmud, another Jewish source, includes a number of not incredibly kind references to Jesus. Here's an example. Jesus, the Nazarene, practiced magic and led Israel astray. And in another place it says, It was taught on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu, the Nazarene, was hanged. 
For forty days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Among the many references of Jesus and the source are what have come to be known as the Ben Pandera stories. Ben Pandera means son of Pandera. These stories describe Jesus as being the illegitimate son of Pandera, a Roman mercenary who, quote, begot a child with Joseph's adulterous wife Mary during her menstrual period. It may seem strange to use these references to support the existence of Jesus because they're so obviously insulting and hostile. Of course, this fits what we know of this period of history. Many of the Jews at this time were hostile to Christianity and to the person of Jesus. But what's really interesting is that even in their extreme opposition to Jesus, they never question his existence, or even that he somehow worked miracles. These accusations actually serve as kind of a backhanded confirmation that Jesus did exist, that he performed wonders or miracles, and even that he was widely reputed to have been born of a virgin. Now, we're not getting ahead of ourselves in claiming that these miracles and the virgin birth are true, not yet. We'll discuss these things in a future episode, but the vehemence of the opposition to these ideas does show that these were well-established claims at this time. The intensity of the hostility toward Jesus makes us wonder, why didn't they simply question his existence? Or at least argue that he never performed any miracles at all? Apparently, this just wasn't an option for these early Jewish critics. This, again, is very valuable to us historically. Next, we look at a Roman source. In his Annals, written around the year 116, Tacitus describes the growing rumors that Nero himself had burned Rome, and Nero's attempts to deflect the public's rage away from himself. Here's what Tacitus wrote. But neither human effort, nor the emperor's generosity, nor the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered. Therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted his culprits, and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts, whom the crowd called Christians. The founder of this name, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition erupted again not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city. Referring to Rome. The city where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere come together and become popular. They had cultural critics even back then. He continues, Therefore, first those who admitted to it, admitted to being Christians, that is, those who admitted to it were arrested. Then, on their information, a very large multitude was convicted, not so much for the crime of arson as for hatred of the human race. Derision was added to their end. They were covered with the skins of wild animals and torn to death by dogs, or they were crucified. And when the day ended, they were burned as torches. Nero provided his gardens for the spectacle and gave a show in his circus, mixing with the people in charioteer's clothing or standing in his racing chariot. Therefore, a feeling of pity arose, despite a guilt which deserved the most exemplary punishment, because it was felt that they were being destroyed not for the public good, but for the ferocity of one man. This passage again shows Jesus referred to as an historical figure, by someone who was not at all supportive of Christianity. And this reference is accepted as authentic by all scholars. 
There are references to Jesus by other Romans that you can look up, such as Pliny the Younger and possibly Suetonius. Now let's look at some Greek sources. Lucian of Samosata, in The Death of Peregrinus, written 165 AD, speaking of Peregrinus' experiences among the Christians, writes this, He, Peregrinus, was second only to that one whom they still worship today, the man in Palestine who was crucified because he brought this new form of initiation into the world. And in another place, writing of Christians, he says, Having convinced themselves that they are immortal and will live forever, the poor wretches despise death and most willingly give themselves to it. Moreover, that first lawgiver of theirs persuaded them that they are all brothers the moment they transgress and deny the Greek gods and begin worshiping that crucified sophist and living by his laws. You can see in these quotes how even someone very hostile to the Christian faith can provide valuable testimony of the historical existence of Jesus Christ. Around 175, Celsus, sometimes also pronounced Celsus, wrote True Doctrine, an entire work dedicated to opposing the Christian faith. Around 250, the Christian scholar Origen responded with Against Celsus, in which he answers Celsus point by point. Celsus seemed to draw heavily from the current, at that time, Jewish critics of Jesus. He ridicules Jesus for being born of a poor family, from a poor village. He claims that Jesus fabricated the story of his virgin birth, that he was actually the son of an adulterous woman and a soldier named Panthera, and that this woman had been driven out by her carpenter husband. He says Jesus learned magical arts in Egypt, and that these powers made him so prideful that he claimed to be God. The majority of Celsus' arguments against Christianity are philosophical, not historical. But again, we see someone who is desperately trying to put Jesus' history in a negative light, but who, for some reason, never actually challenges the basic history of Jesus. And this makes me ask, why not? We've seen examples of the fierce early opposition to Jesus, yet not one of these critics ever questioned his existence. It seems they realized the historicity of Jesus was unassailable. Today, we see much the same thing. Virtually no scholar questions the historical existence of Jesus. The few who do are generally viewed as kind of a radical fringe in Jesus studies. Just as we sometimes run across irrational Christians who can make other believers look silly, so non-Christian scholars seem embarrassed by this tiny, but sometimes very loud, contingent who irrationally deny the historical existence of Jesus. The overwhelming consensus of the broadest sweep of Jesus' scholars is that the historical existence of Jesus is unquestionable. You should also notice that I've quoted from Jewish sources, Roman sources, and Greek sources, but I haven't quoted from any Christian sources. In limiting ourselves in this way, we're actually being far more narrow in our study than any historian would usually be. Even non-Christian critics, who don't accept the New Testament Gospels as divine scripture, believe that these early writings about Jesus reveal an actual historical person. But as we've shown in the quotes we've used, we have plenty of evidence even if we don't consider the early Christian documents. So, to answer the question we began with, yes, we do know historically that Jesus really existed. If anyone challenges whether Jesus existed in history, they just reveal that they're unaware of current scholarship. But this leads us to a related question that we also need to consider. 
were parts of Jesus' story borrowed from other religions. From time to time, you'll hear someone say, the pagan religions at that time had many Christ myths. The early Christians copied the story of a resurrected God from these other religions. Is that true? Let's check it out. The first thing we need to do is consider the sources. It's not hard to find claims that the Christ story was copied from early pagan religions. They're all over the internet. But just where are these internet claims coming from? And when we look at the sources, we see that we don't get these ideas from reputable scholars. We mostly find them touted by people who are not widely respected in the academic community. And that should give us pause. If the most respected critics of Christianity don't avail themselves of this claim, is there maybe something faulty with it? Sometimes religions do borrow from one another. Many years ago, I attended a community function in the Bay Area of California. This event was held at a local Buddhist church. I was more interested in this Buddhist church than I was the event itself. I was surprised by the many similarities to Christianity I saw there. These Buddhists had bishops, who they referred to as reverend, and who dressed in vestments, as one would find in liturgical churches. Their literature spoke of salvation and accepting the principles of Buddhism into your heart. Apparently, they thought using these traditionally Christian trappings and terminologies would help them reach people who were culturally accustomed to them. In the early 4th century, the Roman church leaders decided to designate December 25th as the birth date of Christ. Many historians believe this date was originally a pagan holiday, but that the Roman church converted it. Our Christmas holiday today contains elements that predate the celebration of Jesus' birth, such as Yule logs, giving gifts, and decorating trees. Many scholars also believe much of the grandeur of the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches is partly the result of early attempts to compete with the pageantry of pagan temples and ceremonies. So copying from one religion to another does happen. But did it happen with the story of Christ? Here's what we run into with this claim. They have a huge timeline problem. We can find evidence of copying between Christianity and other religions. The question is, who copied from whom? For instance, if you do some searching, you can find descriptions of the newborn Hindu god Krishna receiving gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The only problem is these stories developed in just the last few years. Because this happened so recently, it's very easy to determine that some Krishna devotees copied from the stories of Jesus' birth. So, did the early Christians do the same thing to enhance the image of Jesus? Or did the pagan religions copy from Christianity? When we examine the historical sources, the pattern becomes very clear. All of the pagan similarities to the Christian faith were recorded after Christianity became widely followed, not before. For example, the worship of Mithra was a popular religion in the ancient Roman Empire. We can find descriptions of their beliefs where Mithra is called the Son of God and the Light of the World, and where it's claimed he was born on December 25th, was buried in a rock tomb, and then came to life three days later. This sounds much like Christianity, doesn't it? But these descriptions were written hundreds of years after the gospel stories about Jesus were written. What did the story of Mithra sound like in the first century? If you look at the Mithra accounts from before Jesus, you find that Mithra was born, not resurrected. He was born when he emerged from a rock. No date is given for his birth. 
He is carrying a knife and a torch, and he was wearing a Phrygian cap. He battled first with the sun and then with the primeval bull. Mithra slew the bull, and this slain bull became the ground of life for the human race. This may remind us a lot of ancient mythology, but it has no similarity at all to the story of Jesus Christ, does it? If you do the homework, you'll find the same to be true of other alleged precursors of the Christ story. In every case, the seemingly uncanny similarities to Christianity were introduced after the widespread propagation of the Christian faith, not before. We're historically very confident that the pagan religions copied elements of the story of Jesus, not the other way around. Another thing we often encounter are so-called similarities with the accounts of Jesus that aren't really all that similar. Some critics claim that there's a long pattern predating Jesus of gods who die and are resurrected. When pushed for examples, and you should always push for examples, but when you do, they appeal to fertility cults where the sun, that's S-U-N, the sun in the sky, where the sun dies in winter and rises again in the spring, only to die again the following winter, and so on and so on. This bears no similarity to claims that a literal historical person was publicly executed, came physically back to life, and was worshipped as divine by his followers. These critics can't show any direct parallels because there are none. These accounts are completely dissimilar. I mentioned earlier the Greek critic of Christianity, Celsus. What's intriguing is that Celsus would disagree with all those trying to show strong similarities between the story of Jesus and pagan gods of the time. One of his points is that the story of Jesus was just too strange, too different. No self-respecting God would ever humble himself, as Jesus did, be born to a poor family in such a humble, poor setting, grow up in such a backwoods place, or to ultimately allow himself to be arrested and shamefully killed. No pagan God would do that. These attempts now to find some similarity between Jesus and pagan gods, no matter how tenuous, seem almost to be a desperate clutching of straws for people who want to find an alternative explanation, any alternative explanation, for the story of Jesus Christ. If you read some people on the internet or listen to them on YouTube, you get the idea that there were many obvious examples of earlier religions from which the Christians blatantly copied elements of Jesus' story, especially his death and resurrection. And then many people just assume these internet claims to be correct and are mystified that anyone could somehow be unaware of this. I wrote a blog post on this subject quite a few years ago, and I still get comments from people who seem incredulous that I'm not aware of all these pre-existing religions that were so similar to Christianity. Someone insists that there are all kinds of examples of these earlier religions from which the followers of Jesus copied. But when challenged to give even one example, most don't respond at all. One person claimed that every religion is pretty much the same story of a perfect man living a perfect life, dying, and then rising from the dead. That's the kind of thing that can sound convincing if you confidently throw it out in conversation. But as soon as someone starts to actually think about it, it falls apart pretty quickly. First of all, there's much more to the story of Jesus than this. But are all or even many religions really based on a story of a perfect man living a perfect life, dying, and then rising from the dead? Let's test that. Is Judaism based on such a story? No. Hinduism? No. Buddhism? No. Taoism? No. Shintoism? No. Islam? No. Scientology? No. 
Just what religions was this person referring to? I don't know, and I doubt whether he did either. He was probably just passing on what someone had confidently told him. Others insist on a long pattern of pre-Christian dying and rising God stories, and they even rattle off a list of names of ancient gods. But when you do the research, you find that none of these gods have stories where they died and rose from the dead. We all need to be careful to not just pass on what we've heard someone assert on the internet without checking it out for ourselves. No, when we go to reputable, qualified historians who have dedicated themselves to the study of Jesus, and we see what they have to say, what we find is that almost no non-Christian scholar questions the historical existence of Jesus or tries to attribute the unique aspects of his story to early Christians copying from pagan religions. They don't do this because it's just not good scholarship. So where does this leave us in our quest? We can be confident that Jesus existed at the time and place the New Testament Gospels describe. And we can't dismiss the accounts of Jesus as stories his followers somehow borrowed or copied from other religions. So where do we go from here? Next, we'll begin looking at the original sources that claim to tell us about Jesus. Which accounts can we trust? Which ones should we reject? And why? We'll discuss this next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This will help others find us. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with any show notes, at exploringthefaith.com. Feel free to post a comment and join the discussion. We also welcome any questions or issues that you'd like us to explore. You can submit these at exploringthefaith.com. Exploring the Faith is sponsored by The Orchard a Jesus-following church that meets in Rancho Cordova, California, and also in weekly interactive online studies. This is my home church where I'm blessed to serve as teaching pastor. You can find out more about The Orchard at orchardonline.org.